So almost all of our writing is done out loud. And it, it sounds stupid to say it. You're right, writing out loud, what the hell does that mean? But it's always how it sounds out of human vocal cords and not me with headphones on listening to music at a Starbucks and imagining the voices in my head of the characters and writing that down because that's how I learned in, in screenplay format how to write and it never worked for me. I was always writing shitty stuff. The only time that I realized that my writing sucked was the first day of rehearsal. And I go, oh my God, I'm a terrible writer. This doesn't work. And it was only because I was never doing like a pre-visualization in audio. I wasn't acting it out. I was just assuming that it was going to sound as good as it was sounding in my head. And so I changed, I pivoted to write movies this way and I'm never turning back. That's Jim Cummings, writer, director and star of acclaimed independent movies like Thunder Road and The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Jim has an approach to screenwriting that's unconventional, but extremely effective, as anyone who's seen his intense new thriller The Beta Test can back me up on. The New Orleans-born filmmaker, as you heard there, likes to write out loud. That means to take a story idea, think of a scene that serves as an entry point into that premise, then begin spitballing moments, monologues and conversations between characters, all out loud. No laptop, no pen and paper, just Jim alone in his apartment, his office, or sometimes his car. When I'm acting out some of the scenes, it gives you an idea of the space as well. So you can write in funny happenings of the location of like, if a if a mother is walking in and she's just parked the car, she comes in with a set of keys and they're jangling around and that becomes like this comic prop in the scene that then the scene could pivot in a direction that is very organic and normal to human behavior in a way that it wouldn't be if you were just writing it, you know, just in your mind rather than actually getting it on its feet and acting it out. I'm Al Horner, and today on How I Write, a podcast about the highs, lows, and workflows of screenwriting. Jim Cummings reveals why he makes podcast versions of his first drafts, complete with music and sound effects to get a sense of his story's pacing. We also get into the importance of writing stories you can make without waiting for anyone else's permission, why gardening and alcohol are key to his creative process, not both at once obviously, and why his only rule is there are no rules when it comes to constructing screenplays. The, the best advice that I can give is not necessarily using the constructions that are there in screenwriting books or in your film school, but instead use the things that whatever works for you, like doing it out loud really works for me. But don't feel like you have to obey my system. It's like whatever's actually going to deliver great results for you is how you should make your movie and never feel like you have to do it anyway. That's all to come today on How I Write, presented by Arc Studio Pro, the screenwriting software that lets writers stay focused on the stories they're trying to tell on the page. Get your free trial today to check out its intuitive design, seamless real-time collaboration features, excellent outlining functions and easy-to-use import and export capabilities. More on those guys later, but now, with no further ado... I'm Jim Cummings, and this is how I write. There's a good quote that I always use, and I really gotta change it because it's not true. They say, if you have to ask if you're having a heart attack, you're not having a heart attack. If you have to ask yourself, is this the right next movie for me? It's probably not. Like, when I'm doing Thunder Road, I, it's undeniable to me. I am bawling my eyes out telling the story of it and also laughing hysterically. And it's, I seem like a lunatic saying that out loud, but I knew that I had to make Thunder Road the feature or I was going to die trying. Now, when I'm writing stuff, like it hits you. You know this is the next thing you have to do. You know you're going to spend the next month of your life writing this thing because you can't not. It's too good. In 2016, Jim wrote, directed and starred in Thunder Road, his breakthrough shorts, in which a police officer suffers an emotional meltdown at a funeral. 
In a way, he says, he never really decided to make that short. Nor did he really decide to make the feature-length version that went on to win the Grand Jury Prize at South by Southwest, becoming a global cult smash hit. Likewise, he never exactly sat down and decided to make a horror comedy about a small mountain town under siege by a werewolf, 2020's The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Same deal with the beta test. Instead, when Jim stumbles upon the right idea, a feeling takes over that's kind of comparable to cardiac arrest, he says. In these situations, he simply needs to write that story. It's a sensation that he then tries to channel into the scripts themselves, especially with the beta test. Question wasn't about it hitting me and making me feel like I'm having a heart attack. It was like, how do I make this thing inspire a heart attack in me? How do I make it something that is actually going to make me laugh, that is actually going to make me cry? It was like, I'm trying to force a heart attack here. Jim has a writing partner, PJ McCabe, who is also his co-director on the beta test. If you haven't seen that film yet, by the way, you're missing out. It's a disturbing and deeply satirical drama about a Hollywood agent who one day receives a mysterious purple envelope. Inside is an invitation to a no-strings-attached one-night stand. From there, things start to unravel. I won't say any more, but it's a blast. The film began life like all of their projects, as a logline in a Google spreadsheet that they can both access anytime, any place. This is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Jim's approach to working on the go, wherever inspiration hits him. Once a heart attack-worthy idea has come to him, and he's begun that process of writing out loud, Jim can pretty much construct an entire movie from the front seat of his car, sat in traffic, using voice-to-text memo apps and the notes section of his iPhone to guide him. We have this metronome that's set from watching a thousand movies and understanding the internet and Reddit and how people like content, what actually makes people laugh, what actually makes people cry. And so eventually it gets broken down to probably like three or four projects that I'm working on at any given time. And when something is really moving me emotionally, I'll create this like notes file inside of my iPhone where I'll just do voice to text. And it's a thousand different ideas that then I move into a Google Doc and I think of this great idea and I do voice to text and write it down and then compile this enormous Google document that has all of the ideas for the movie. And I'll organize it with PJ, uh, my writing partner, over a month or so before we start writing a script. Once enough ideas are in place, the pair will start to work on the project in person, improvising scenes together and searching for what they want their story and characters to express and explore. Together they push each other to get the best out of the material and the complicated men often at the heart of these tales. Writing with PJ is really easy because we're actually great friends and we have the same sense of humour. And it's very different from writing in my normal space because I'm never really pushed by friends to see if I can change the scene. I have this one idea, I'm like, this is it, and it might suck. And then doing it out loud with other people, they become the first audience members. And so, like, it's really great to collaborate because you get to use other people's brains and have their parlance, the way they speak, their vernacular come out in terms of phrase that is more perfect than anything that I could think of off the top of my head. PJ will set up his laptop on the other side of the table and I'll have mine set up and we'll go through the Google Doc of what the movie needs to be chronologically and we'll just start and it'll be like, all right, we have to do this scene, let's act it out. And so we'll get up and like start acting the scene out or kind of talking about what it would be and then once it's good, then we'll write it down. It's like, oh, that's brilliant. And then we'll write down the best improv that, that came about from us acting it out. If you're familiar with Jim's work, you'll know that his characters are frequently men clinging on in worlds changing around them, whose unravelling states mean they blurt out contrasting thoughts as they come to them. Despite their flaws, there's something usually quite likeable about them. 
There's a storytelling principle at Pixar that I love, and that I think rings true in Jim's work too. You admire a character for trying more than for their successes. It's not what your protagonist achieves that endears them to you, it's the courage and effort that they put into trying to hold everything together that you can't help but admire. Jim's films might be a little bit more adult and a lot lower budget than Pixar's, but the same applies. His characters try and try and try some more in the face of everything crumbling around them. These traits amongst his characters are born out of Jim's improvisational process, in which he gets to know his characters by stepping directly into their shoes, rather than trying to find them on the page through a laptop screen. I find it to be a, a tool of verisimilitude of like, it becomes this incredibly realistic thing based on human biology and how people move in a space and act out. And I mean, it, it's all kind of driven in the same way of it, to make me laugh and cry in the scene that I'm writing or whatever it is, but it's just done in a different way. It's not me imagining how the actor should speak. It's me actually doing it and then finding, you know, giving them the toolbox to say, this is how I would do it. And then you elevate it from there. It's, it, it, it's become like, this incredibly normal way for us to make movies. And having spoken to some of my favorite screenwriters, they always do that. Like Steve Coogan, when he was doing the day to day, they would film themselves on a VHS camera and then they would act out the scene before they went ever to record it. And then they would rewind it to the parts that they would burst out laughing for. And Armando would say, cool, that part really worked. Let's put that in the show. So like every time I've spoken to my heroes, they're like, oh yeah, doing an audio version of it is, is totally normal. Jim and whoever he's working with usually establish the plot first, then think of the most interesting character to be put in the midst of that chaos. It's always plot for me first. It's very rarely character. We're like, I remember listening to an interview with Peter Sellers where he does the voice first and then we'll come up with the outfit and the story afterwards. Like he develops the character first. And then but I'm, I'm kind of the exact opposite where I, I want to say something about something and then that will be the plot of the movie and then we kind of use characters as plot devices, unfortunately. And so that's kind of how my brain thinks about, about screenwriting or filmmaking in general. So it's a weird process where I will have the idea for the movie broadly of what would be dope to do or how it could fit and you know win an audience's attention for 90 minutes. And then it's just a thousand different conversations and like months of development before we ever go into screenwriting. As he goes about finding that character, and starts forging a journey for them to go on that will test their limits and push them to dangerous brinks, Jim works pretty much exclusively on instinct. As you might expect from a guy who circumvents Hollywood wherever possible, he doesn't pay much attention to traditional storytelling structure. The thing that makes me like movies isn't necessarily the three-act structure. It's like, if I'm entertained the whole time, I'm really, really, really bad at all the screenplay stuff. I don't think I would be a very good screenwriter, but I, the things that I do write in screenplay format um, end up being very good movies. Everybody in Hollywood is just like, yeah, but what are the themes? And I'm like, fuck you. It's a dope movie. For Jim, a way more productive and effective thing to do than bury his head in screenwriting books is to pick up a trowel and do a spot of gardening. That's not some laboured metaphor for writing. I mean, literally, gardening. This is how Jim gets his research done, listening to audiobooks and steeping himself in the texture of the time and place that he's planning to write about before I could ever accurately write a screenplay without having to delete half of it, it takes me doing a bunch of research. The new movie that we're writing is about the Victorian era in America. It's a lot of audiobooks uh, during me gardening and stuff. And so like, I'd like to think that I'd, I seem like a really cool writer, but it's a lot of like listening to Jane Eyre or like 
you know, really any of the Bronte sisters works and then Jane Austen and kind of like getting an idea of the, the turns phrase, how things work, what it's like inside of the Victorian home. It's kind of like living inside of that space in your mind, kind of like method acting a bit, um, but it's more like method writing, I guess. And then it's just a thousand Google notes. Still to come on How I Write, Drunk First Drafts, why Jim records podcast versions of his own screenplays, and the lesson about his craft that he's reminded of once a year when he writes a check addressed to one Bruce Springsteen. But first, a word about Arc Studio Pro. Screenwriting to me is all about immersion. I want to stay immersed in that dreamy, fantasy-like state while I weave my story and craft my characters. I don't want to be distracted by anything, and I certainly don't want to be thinking about text formatting. Arc Studio Pro understands that. It's so intuitive, it has a minimal and dare I say beautiful interface that allows me to stay completely focused on the story I'm trying to tell. If you like to work with a writing partner, well, good news, Arc Studio Pro has seamless real-time collaboration, kind of similar to Google Docs, which allows you and whoever you're working with to stay both literally and figuratively on the same page. Importing and exporting other formats like PDF and final draft files is easy. And best of all, it has an always free plan, meaning you can sign up today and start writing. To take your screenwriting to the next level, visit arcstudiopro.com. Click the link in today's show notes to find out more. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. The gardening part of Jim's writing process might sound quite wholesome. The next stage, however, once he's finished his research and written an outline, gets slightly more hedonistic. The first draft I have to get drunk to write, we call it the vomit draft because we just have to get it out of our bodies, where we'll, we'll have a huge Google Doc of all these notes and stuff. And it just becomes very intimidating to look at an empty screen. And you're like, fuck it, let's just start doing it. Or let's start writing the scenes that I know that I'm excited about. And I'll do that. Eventually it becomes this tapestry that is the full movie. But yeah, the first like two days of it, I have to be drunk. And then I go back and edit it sober. And then for the next several months, I'm fine. But there is this timidity in me that although we've been working on this thing and daydreaming about it for the last several months, that it's never, ever going to happen. And I'm wasting my time doing this thing. And I know that's something that most screenwriters feel where they're like, well, what? What's the point of this thing? This could just be a PDF on my desktop for the next 10 years. And how sad is that? And that kind of fear and inadequacy trap that I fall into all the time, I have to just continually remind myself that I'm doing the doable. I'm writing something that I could execute with my friends. It's not too big. And, you know, write small, write stuff that you can do in your backyard. We're going to need to stop and take a little detour here because that last point's worth repeating. And it's a huge part of how Jim writes. Jim's a filmmaker who really cherishes independence, the right to tell the story that he wants to tell without needing to wait for outside permission. His name is kind of synonymous with do-it-yourself independent movie making in 2021. Remember at the top of this episode when I mentioned his 2016 short film Thunder Road? It featured a Bruce Springsteen song that, well, he didn't exactly ask permission to use. It's all good now though. When the short film blew up, Jim struck a deal with the boss, or whoever handles his affairs, to keep the film online. Now, once a year, Jim writes a check to Bruce for the sum of $1,000. What stuck out for Jim the first time he did this was he wasn't writing the check to Bruce's label or some management company. He was writing it to Bruce himself. That's the autonomy that Jim says he strives for. Write stuff you can make in your backyard without needing Hollywood's permission or help. And it's your name on the checks. You hold the power. So when we were doing the Thunder Road short film, I was an idiot and it was a single take and we used the Bruce Springsteen song Thunder Road in the short film 
and nobody was supposed to see it. At best, it was supposed to live on the internet. It's never going to make any money. I was like, I'm paying for this budget, whatever. And I, it was gonna, I wanted to make something that would live forever. My parents are lawyers. They're like, you're an idiot for using the song. You should use a karaoke version or a sound alike or something like that. And I was like, no, it's a cop. He would just have like, you know, this the Born to Run you know, album and then like play the fucking song on it. So we should do it. And then I just did it. And it's one long take. We couldn't cut it out. And it just became that. So I, I reached out on medium.com and wrote an open letter. And the Springsteen family saw it. They also saw the feature. They're very nice pen pals of mine now. We didn't get into trouble really. And I write him a check every year for thousand dollars to keep the Thunder Road short film on Vimeo with his name on it. It says to Bruce Springsteen. It's not to Sony. It's not to any of these labels or anything like that. It's to Bruce because he owns his music. And I own the Thunder Road feature still. I own about 38% of that movie. So every time we make a new movie, people go back to watch the first one. And it's so important to own your work because if you own your own artwork, it's a retirement plan. Anytime you make something bigger, you end up making more money on the previous films. You see spikes in revenue because you own that thing. And we're coming about at a time where the internet is so prevalent towards rights where you can make something self-distribute like we did with Thunder Road and you just become like any other production company in Hollywood or any other studio. The barriers of entry are becoming so low because of the exponential growth in technology that you can impersonate a distributor and do it all on your own and audiences will thank you for it. And you don't have to be removed from the ownership you have over your property. Even now, Jim prioritises stories that he can tell himself with minimal special effects or reliance on massive budgets. The beta test, for example, is incredibly gripping, but centres on a story in which the biggest financial outlay beyond his cast and crew might well have been just a handful of purple envelopes that are central to the plot. Inspiration for ways to write small just takes a little bit of research, he says. Find the most impressive movies that are made for not much money Go to Short of the Week and look up the channels for Sundance and Cannes and Berlinale and South by Southwest and see what is being programmed at those festivals. Kind of reset your metronome for what is the most culturally and socially significant content that's coming out on the planet and say, okay, how do I make something like this? How do I make something that's this impressive in my neighborhood? But anyways, we digress. What's next in Jim's process once he's got a first draft down? For most of us, it would be rewriting. For Jim, it's making a podcast version of that first draft, complete with sound effects and music. This, he says, allows him to get a big picture view of the project, and a sense of the atmosphere and emotions it's currently conjuring. It's something he's able to listen to while running or throw on in the car, coming to conclusions that are going to inform his rewrite. So anytime we have the first draft or the second draft of a screenplay, I'll use the Zoom recorder I'm talking to you on right now, and I'll open up Adobe Premiere record the entire screenplay as a podcast. And instead of saying interior police station night, I'll say Jim walks into the police station and it becomes very simple. You don't realize, but it's the only thing that's different about screenplays is the scene heading rather than a radio play or an audiobook. And then I'll play all the parts or I'll get friends to come in and, you know, loan their voices to do some of the parts if it's confusing. And then I'll put in music and sound design so we can at least hear the movie working. And in doing so, just by doing it out loud, you go, oh, this part's too slow. This sucks. How do I make that better? And you can hear it not working. And it's just been this really great safeguard for me where I'll literally have my screenwriting software open and be reading off of it for the podcast. And while I'm recording as a podcast, I'll go, yeah, this isn't working. I gotta change the scene. So there's like all these recordings of me tapping away at the keyboard going, no, how do I make this scene shorter? Because the audience is already bored. I'm bored, for Christ's sake. How do I make this more interesting? And it works. It's been really, really helpful for us. From there, Jim starts rewriting. Fine-tuning and fine-tuning, 
until his script has that heart attack feeling that we talked about earlier, that sense of urgency. To him, there's no better feeling than having a finished script that's ready to bring to the screen. When you're acting in and directing your own movie as well as writing it, the writing can sometimes feel like a footnote on all the other obligations and responsibilities that you have towards the project. But Jim still loves the writing process. There's a quote by his producer, Ben Wisner, that he thinks about often when he talks about why he writes and the special place that writing has within his creative process. Someone asked him what it was like to win South by Southwest and he said it was almost as cool as being on set. And I kind of feel that way of like, you know, the Derek C. and France line of writing is like giving birth, filming is like living, and editing is like murder. It's a very, it can sometimes be very unfulfilling to make movies, but it is nice to get it out into the world. Honestly, I'm very petty. It's just to show off. Like, I still feel like I'm the seventh grade class clown and I want to make people laugh. It's very selfish in a way. You know, there's a great Orwell, there's a short essay that he wrote called Why I Write. And sometimes he talks about the English teacher that he had that said he would never make it. And he's like, no, I'm writing to say, fuck you to you. I'll be one of the best writers in the English language. Um, I think it is very petty and very selfish as, as to why I write. But I guess just to entertain, just to make people feel less lonely. Jim Cummings there is the acclaimed writer-director behind Thunder Road, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, and The Beta Test, which is available now as a digital download. You've been listening to How I Write, hosted by me, Al Horner, with production by Camille Demek. Music comes from Oliver Knowles, our theme song is by Nefetz. How I Write is brought to you by Arc Studio Pro. Get your free trial today by visiting arcstudiopro.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.